0: Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today we're talking to Evan McCommon, who is a family farmer, and they are located in Louisiana. And and Evan spent most of his uh, career in a cubicle and uh, has recently changed over to the farm. And uh, now you guys have been farming for approximately, was it seven years now?
1: Uh, It's closer to nine or 10. If you, okay. If you, yeah. I think we started in 2012. So what is that? Nine, something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The 2021 always throws me through a loop. <laughs> I
1: know me too. me too.
0: Some people like to think 2020 never happened. So we I think it counts you.
1: for five years. It counts for five.
0: <laughs> All right. So Evan, before you were farming, you were like in product design, engineering, chainsaws, uh, weed eaters, that kind of thing.
1: Yes, sir. And um, the last part of my career, I worked for a company, we designed commercial cooking equipment for big fast food chains. So I had experience with, uh, you know, a lot of stainless steel and restaurants and stuff like that.
0: Oh, very cool. Yeah, we've got Henny Penny nearby. And um, Yeah, they're, they're that, was, made- that
1: was a competitor of one of our okay, <laughs> of one of our competitors. Yep. Yeah, 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 it was Frymaster. Who, who I was. Okay,
0: very yep. cool. Yeah. So, the other end, the uh, the industrial cooking of the, the, the product,
1: yeah. yeah. So, I went from McDonald's to clean foods, kind of funny.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. when you started your farm, you kind of had dived into the vegetable side of things and rapidly realized that just wasn't going to quite work,
1: right? I mean. I've, I've been on the family farm or managing it since I was young. I was probably 18 or 19 when I first was given like responsibility for it. Uh, yeah. There's no one in the family to really do it. And we were back in the twenties when the farm first started, it was cattle and all kinds of diversified livestock and everything. And then um, it had devolved and, you know, family died off and it ended up all going into timber. And so I've been, I was managing timber for a long time on the side while I have a, while I had a full-time career. Yeah. And, go ahead.
0: So, so talk to me about timber management. I actually Mm. ended up sitting on a flight one time with a guy who they had like, I don't know, 50, 60, 80,000 acres. And that was kind of what their family farms were, were these massive timber farms. What Mm. scale were you managing it on?
1: Um, we're probably around a thousand to 1400 acres. Okay. Um, so it's smaller, um, than, than what your friend had, but yeah. And and Louise, I mean, that was, you know, that that's probably an I would say we're a larger landowner in the area, Uh, but for a timber company, there's a lot of timber company land around here. That's in the, you know, tens of thousands of acres. So we're a small, small timber farm or timber holder for, you know, for a family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then what does timber management look like? What's the cycle?
1: 15 to 30 years. So, you know, typically, you know, if you go from a plantation or planting the trees to your first thinning, you're looking somewhere between 10 and 15 years for your first thinning and then 30 for a final harvest. But that industry has been changing a lot over mm. the past few years and, and think, you know, the market has changed. We, there's so, there's a lot, there are a lot less sawmills and a lot less companies, you know, making products. So the things have got gone more towards the pulpwood side yeah. of things and less towards the saw timber. So it, it really shook up what our long-term plans were. And uh, that was one of the many reasons that contributed to me looking into diversification into other, other things to do with the farm.
0: Yeah. So then what was the, what was the time or the date that you were like, okay, this isn't working or we need to make a change. And when did the first chickens hit the farm on a larger scale?
1: Right. Probably the, we need to make a change thing was probably 2009, 2000. Okay. There, my grandfather had passed away and I was working on his house and I was putting up this trim board and I noticed a little sticker on the trim board that said product of Sweden. Oh my gosh. And at the same time, literally at the same time there was a log truck going behind me down our down Mahaffey road with a load of our timber. Yeah. And I thought, how, how ironic is this or crazy is it that I'm, I'm putting a board on my grandfather's home that he built from Sweden and yet I'm selling timber right now. Wow. And so it was kind of a, that was my little moment of of, like, of just kind of really changing my passion, you know, it just got me into it. And then, you know, I'd already kind of seen the food Inc movie and was getting into healthier living and lifestyle and, and just, you know, it, it all just sort of came together. we like, this is my purpose. And this is what I need to do. So first chickens didn't hit, hit the ground until 2012 or 2013, but our, well, I would say we started with pigs when it came to livestock. And so really we got pigs in, in 2012.
0: Okay. And yeah. talk to us about the, the, the pork operation a little bit. What is the, the, the breed and how do you raise them?
1: We raise a, red wattle and tamworth cross okay um we raise them on pasture very similar to the polyface style we -hmm. put them on on uh, paddocks that are about a half acre um and we rotate them when they've gone through um a couple tons of feed maybe two and a half tons it depends on how how the ground is looking as to when we decide it's time to move them to the next paddock yeah it's yeah it's it's really you know and it's and it changes a lot with the seasons you know we have we get 52 inches of rain here. A lot of it is in the winter. So, you know, they can really tear up a paddock quick in the winter. So we, we either keep them more stationary in the winter on high ground, or we move them more quickly depending on what part of the farm they're on.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now your t-shirts, they cultivate the 318. Are those yeah. your specific uh, farm t-shirts and talk to us? What is the 318, your zip code or your area? Yeah. Code?
1: yeah. Um, all of North Louisiana is 318. So it's basically from the center. You know, so Louisiana is shaped like a boot from like the top yep. of the boot all the way North is all 318. And we're really not known for much agriculture or much local food up here. You know, New Orleans kind of steals the spotlight on that or the South does. And, yeah. um, and so we- you know, it was a little slogan that I came up with. I, I, had, I saw something, I think it was a Chipotle commercial where they were saying, cultivate a better world. And I said, well, we need to cultivate a better Shreveport or a better 318. And I said, cultivate 318, that kind of makes sense. So we just made it a little slogan and made some t-shirts and it kind of took off and everybody mm-hmm. around here likes it because, you know, it, it, we do have a little small um, local food movement going on and, and it's just something to encourage that.
0: Mhm, mhm, absolutely. All right, so you've got the pigs and then you got the chickens and the chickens look like they're in a larger um a hoop house style pen, correct?
1: We have both. We okay. we have about we have about 20 salatin pens and then we have four of the you know the mobile range coops or schooners we call yep. them. Yep.
0: And which one do you prefer?
1: Honestly, I think there is a point of diminishing returns on the salatin pen when you're trying to run 20 of them with just a couple guys. Yeah. It gets to be a little tedious and and, um, and, you know, it just, you, I, I think we got to burn out a little quick on those. Yeah. Um, and, and the schooners when you, and also when you're, when, you know, we've been struggling with staffing, um, with the pandemic. And, um, and so when you are bringing people in, it's easier to train on the schooner than it is on a South pin and yeah. you have, you have less, you know, hazards for the birds. So we're kind of evolving. We still, like I said, we're still running 20 pins, but. Um, we're, we're probably going to evolve to more of the mobile range groups as we move forward.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think, I mean, I think I'm being honest
1: about that. I mean, Joel was here at our farm probably back in September and we talked about it and I agree with a lot of his stuff on why the, the, his pins are better. And in a lot of circumstances on our farm, they are better. Yeah. Um, but at a certain, I think at a certain scale and with certain, um, if you don't really have the right team sometimes. You, and, you, and you're bringing in novices or just day laborers, you yeah. just kind of have to go with something simpler.
0: Well, Polyfaces has a large um, labor source from you know interns. And so they just have them move them. But um, yes. if, you, if you have very few people, I mean, my brother's out in Oklahoma and he farms pretty much by himself. And so yeah. there's no they're, way they're he's- They're perfect
1: yeah. for a one-man operation. You really can't go you go wrong yeah. with them if you're one guy. especially. And I do, I've done those chores a lot by myself in the morning. And it's nice just to not have to, you know, don't, you don't need any equipment or yeah. any machinery. You just get it done, um, yeah. and it's and it's good, you know, it's good for your health too. Just stay in shape <laughs> a little bit.
0: <laughs> yes, but most farmers <laughs> don't need any extra work.
1: <laughs> right, but but when when you when the, when there's not really an expert supervisor watching things go on, and you can you can train on those mobile range coops quite a bit faster.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get it set up where you just have a winch located right on the front of the, uh, by power, Mm -hmm. solar powered. And so basically it actually automatically pulls across the field, you know, it just moves forward like two feet an hour. Mm -hmm. And at that rate, the chickens will probably move themselves when it gets to the back of the pen.
1: Yeah. Uh, We're experimenting with that, with a remote controlled winch and a a radio remote control winch. And then you have the winch mounted on the back of the, of the tractor okay and, and you push a button and you can be back there waving and flagging the chickens as and, and by yourself so Perfect. that it is possible yep. to do it but yeah that they they sell a you know radio controlled winch so that's yeah. the way to go
0: yeah we actually yeah okay so then um if you're doing that um how many birds are you fitting in there
1: um uh, we inherited our, our current schooners from a different farm or from another okay. farm. I, I, I bought out a, a guy who was getting out of the business because he was in some low wet areas yep. and he was having trouble with mortality with that. So we bought them. They're on the small side. I think we're only putting about 200 uh, to 300 in each one, um, which is to me not quite enough. So we're, we're building some bigger schooners now to replace them. But we're, we're aiming for somewhere around the 400 to 600 birds per per unit.
0: 400 to 600 birds per yeah. unit. Yeah,
1: we're, 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 we're doing, we're, we're processing 600 birds a week at this time.
0: Okay. So let's now move into your processing. Um, you doing that on in farm?
1: Yes, sir. We are.
0: Okay. And then what kind of team does that need to do 600?
1: Uh, typically we'll have anywhere from five to, we don't do 600 one day. We're, we do two uh, process days or two kill days on, yeah. um, on the farm. So we usually do a Monday and a Wednesday, and we'll usually do around 300 to 300 400, or, you know, sometimes it ends up being 200. It just depends on what's going on um, and what we're harvesting for. Um, so, yeah, it's five people is kind of the minimum. and uh, But sometimes we've had up to seven or eight. Um, okay. Yeah. Be- being consistent is difficult these days.
0: yes with a very it's like a very tight labor force you're kind of tight
1: labor force turnovers and we're just you know we we have people that aren't showing up things like that but we're 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 getting it done every week it's just sometimes we only have a crew of five people but it takes a little longer but we keep going
0: yeah now you also do processing for your let's talk about your your red blood animals um Mm -hmm. well your larger animals um how is that processing done
1: it's done at a facility called, um, well, called McCain farms, which is in Calhoun, Louisiana, about an hour down the road. Yeah. i 20. Um, we've been working with them for about nine years and uh, the owner had decided that he was kind of burning out, was ready to, to sell. He didn't really have a succession plan per se. And so he offered to us so we were probably his largest customer and, um, largest private label customer. And we decided to, um, to kind of go forward with that because there was a kind of a threat to what, what was going to happen as to how we were going to get our processing done and maintain consistency. We make a lot of, we do a lot of pork processing and we have a lot of sausages and and specialty little meats that we do with the pork and trying to take those recipes from one facility to another was going to be a real challenge. So we took this opportunity to go ahead and, 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 and take the big plunge and, and buy the plant and um, with my background, I, I feel pretty confident that I'll be able to, to make this work. And we're, we're we, you know, we're only about six months or seven months into the new ownership and my management. And um, I brought in my uh, sister who's actually a, uh, she's coming in as an operations manager with a business background and she's helping me with the administrative side of things. Yep. And I'm sort of focusing on production, but we have a good staff there that, you know, w- w- was able to keep, keep the quality consistent. Um, yeah. another challenge we faced going into that, into that purchase was, you know, the, the pandemic had, had backed up the, um, you know, our, our custom beef that we do for a lot of local farmers. Yeah. So there was, there was a, a, a large backlog of, of folks that were not being, that were waiting to have their beef processed. So what I've done for these first six months is focused entirely on getting that backlog caught up and getting all these local farmers. And I've, I've really enjoyed it. Meeting all the local ranchers and farmers that, that do their own custom processing or do halves and wholes and uh, or, you know, sales to their own customers and really taking care of them and just being part of that agricultural community where we're serving other farmers, not just our own, our mm-hmm. own animals. So it's, it's, it's kind of a fun thing I'm enjoying at this time. <laughs>
0: All right, very cool. Now talk to us, go back. Let's go back to talk about the, the forest transition because you went from forest to a lot of pasture. What was that transition look like?
1: We're I'd say that was a work in progress, but we we did choose what I call the nucleus of the farm or the around the homestead area. We decided to go ahead, we we were ready for our first thinning in that area anyway. And so we decided to go ahead and do a clear cut in that so we could start building pastures near the nucleus of the farm or the the zone one. And we uh, started focusing on putting pigs in these cutovers and we roll out hay bales for the cattle and we rotate that system through. Cause when you, when you're going from forest to pasture, you're going from a fungal environment to a microbial Mm -hmm. environment in the soil. And so introducing lots more or introducing the, the cattle has been a good thing, introducing the pigs because they're turning the soil over, they're putting down their own manures and, um, we're bringing in hay all, you know, almost all the time, even for the pigs, because they make their bedding and, and gives them some shelter in, in different weather. Um, so it's just been a lot of moving around and keeping things, you know, or letting things kind of take their time to build up. I mean, we've, we mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're going from pine straw to pasture, basically it's pretty tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, that's not easy. So then, with stumps, you obviously cut as low as possible, and then yeah, we
1: I I forgot about that phase. When we first did the, we we did invest in some mulching. So we they we paid a contractor to bring in a mulcher and took the slash and just went over in a single pass. You know, those mulching machines that they will they will turn the soil over. So I had a lot of talks with the operator, and we instructed him to just to not. He he basically leveled off all the slash and leveled off all the stump tops and that's where we started and so we did about i think we did about 60 to 80 acres to start that way and the rest of the of the forest management we were doing some silvo pasture to where we're not clear cutting but we're doing okay thinnings that are a little bit more spread out letting a little bit more light down and we're trying to convert those areas um to a silvo pasture system and i'm working with my forester on that um that that's a project that has that's not going as well as I would want to, as far as me dedicating time to it and Mm -hmm. and working on it. So we're behind and we need to do some brush management in some of those areas. We have a um, Chinese tallow um, infestation, if you want to call it, that's an invasive species that we're trying to get rid of. And it's been tough. You know, we're we're trying to make a commitment not to use chemicals. We've done some very specific, what's called a hack and spurt or chop and spurt where you just take a little hatchet and you, chop the trunk and squirt a little chemical in there that kills that one tree without having okay. to spray. So we're experimenting with some, with some herbicide control that way. Cause we, we, we were losing the battle. It was taking a lot of bush yeah. hogging and, and and tree cutting, or we have what's called a tree cutter, which is like a bush hog, but you go backwards and it cuts trees. Of, okay. you know, yeah. brush. And um, that that's just expensive and time consuming. And it doesn't really work that well because the tallows just come right back. So um like I said, that's an ongoing fight that we're fighting to to convert this pasture or convert forest to pasture but we're winning just not as as well as I would like to be
0: yes Yeah. yep yeah, absolutely it, it, well it's a ch- really challenging process too I mean it's going from yes. one extreme to another with mm-hmm. a, you know thirty year life cycle to you know an annual so right and trying and to
1: keep costs to a minimum yep.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Without spending a boatload of money and and pulling all Mm -hmm. the stumps out and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about the um, sales system or your, your marketing. You have an on-farm store, I see. And what other channel? and then you do home delivery. What other channels do you sell through?
1: Um, We do some wholesale stuff. Uh, We, we sell to some various little uh, health, health food and grocery stores throughout the state. Um, And a couple of you know, well, a few restaurants. Um, I should have been prepared with those numbers, but I, I think we're we were somewhere in the th- between all the restaurants and grocery stores. over thirty different locations we're at in the state with with some product.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Now let's talk about the farm store. Um, was that from the beginning?
1: For, yes, it was. We had it on the farm. It was basically an old garage on the farm, and um, when we. In 2017, we purchased an adjacent piece of land that used to be a golf course and it has highway frontage and it had an old clubhouse. Okay. And so we converted that to a store and we had just started getting in groceries. We, we, we were working with UNFI and bringing in some products to complement our, our mm-hmm. meats and our, and our whatever vegetables we were doing. And the, um, the pandemic hit. And we had like, and and so we immediately put all of those groceries on our graze cart site and started selling direct and and doing home delivery. So we, we went from say a 20 to 30 home deliveries a week to 150, 160, you know, very rapidly. And so then we basically shut the store down during the pandemic. Not basically, we did shut it down because it just became an order packing warehouse is all it was, or an order packing room. And now we, I, I don't remember what day we reopened, but now we're kind of having to get our feet back underneath us in the grocery store again, just because a lot of the products that we wanted to sell, we couldn't get them. Um, so we started, you know, people were, I mean, we were home delivering toilet paper. So, you know, we were doing all that stuff. And so we, we just ended up with some products that weren't and in, in our, in our grocery mm-hmm. store that weren't really what we were aiming for at the time. And now we're starting to redevelop some of those, relationships with our farmer's market friends, you know, we're, we're bringing in more products from other local farms We're um, we've always brought in, you know, dairy and, and some other, th- and, and um, vegetables, but it's just, it's just an ongoing, um, an ongoing project just trying to get more products yeah. and, and figure out what our customer base wants. You know, we're, we're trying to, you know, work with the, the folks that care about clean eating and, and, and offer them some, some good products and, and local products, of course. And we have, you know, what we call our hyper local products, which are products that we, you know, get from places that are in this parish or, or the adjacent parish, you know, in the city. And, um, we really try to promote our friends and, and our people that we're working with, you know, locally.
0: Yeah. And so how do you develop those, re- develop those relationships with those hyper local products?
1: It, it kind of started with the farmer's market because there are some restaurants that were just starting out. They were starting out as pop-ups in the farmer's market when we started, and now they're they're brick and mortar. So we had those relationships with chefs that we meet at the market and, and uh, small businesses, and then also our slow food chapter. We've had a lot of luck with um, with our local slow food leaders. Um, mm. we, we've started doing a farm-to-table dinner every year called Fet on the Farm, mm-hmm. and um, that has brought us a lot of um, – notoriety and 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 new people come to that every year and learn about our products and we also meet new new uh vendors or new new farming partners to sell their products with and you know it's just it it is i would say just chefs farmers market and um slow food
0: Hmm. Hmm. that's interesting that's that we don't around here don't have a huge slow food um Yeah, Yeah, there's not. It's interesting. It's
1: it's interesting because I think we have one of the largest slow food chapters in the United States. And I don't I think it's just the leadership we have here. We have a really good chairman or
0: um,
1: white. And she she has just she really focuses on on getting things done and promoting events and promoting local businesses. And and I, I think that's what makes that's just one of my unfair advantages, I guess, is that we have a really good slow food crew out here.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So the, the business has grown pretty rapidly. How mm. do you
1: manage the growth? That's a that's a really great question. Um, I don't manage it as well as I want to. Uh, but I think it's really important to hire people that are better than you at managing, um, especially some of the different categories. We, you know, I've, I've managed to always bring in someone that was the right person at the right time. And, you know, when it came to our grocery store, we brought in someone with with grocery experience. It worked at a co-op in Austin and knew what how to manage that. Um, I've always like it's always kind of come with the people that we have on the farm helping us mm-hmm. um, is me learning to delegate and not try to control things or micromanage um, and just letting things um you know, work at their pace. You know, I, I can be a bit intense and want to get things done quickly, but I've learned to let it operate and let things build and grow at the pace that our, that our staff can, can manage it at. And that I can manage it at because, you know, you can really push yourself to burnout. If you, if you set your time goals too soon and try to get things knocked out, you know, and and up and running when you, when you don't, you really need to give yourself some time to learn Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. and make
1: some changes as you go.
0: Yeah. And growing too fast is also challenging too.
1: Yeah. Well, you can grow or you can make decisions that'll put you in a position that, you, that are hard to back out of, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's what I worry about is just, you know, steady, steady pace growth is what I'm trying to do. I don't feel like it's rapid, but I mean, it's, you know, when I look back to just a couple of years ago, I mean, you know, the pandemic really just kind of changed my perspective, you know, cause everything happened so fast. You I know, mean, We were, we 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 tried to change our mentality to grow faster, be, to meet the demand, and to be able to implement systems that could keep up with a with a larger sales demand and and not overshoot the mark. Because you know I we knew that things were going to go back to normal and balance back out, but we had to figure out where and what how much of the market of this new of these new customers were we really going to capture for long term, and that's that's been that's you know probably what keeps me up at night.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to another grower who said they've seen the pandemic uh, buying craze disappear.
1: Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I think we're we're kind of going back to 2019 levels. I would say that's we're getting pretty close to that. But we, you know, we're 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 bigger than we were, but it just feels more like like it just it, it's definitely dialed back a lot. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Talk to us about your red label, the certified organic feed and blue label conventional feed products. What led to your decision to offer both of those?
1: Yeah, that was, that was something that evolved from circumstances. Also, when I first started all this, I was pretty gung-ho. I really wanted to, to offer, I, didn't, I wanted to buy non-GMO grains and do, and do a non-GMO animal feed for all of our omnivores. Uh-huh. I just wasn't finding any mills locally that were offering. I say locally, I mean regionally. Um, I couldn't find a, a, any, any farmers that were growing non-GMO. I even went to the Mennonites. They were all growing roundup ready corn and, and Coyote Creek feed mill in Elgin, Texas, which is about five miles, five hours away. Um, was offered, you know, they were the only certified organic feed mill in the South at the time. This mm-hmm. is back in 2011, 2012. And so that's kind of where I ended up going was I wanted to have the absolute premium product. And, um, what evolved later was started working with these chefs and the restaurants were wanting my product. But I mean, I was, that was cost prohibitive to be organic. So yeah, what what really mattered was the pastures, you know, being on rotation on pasture. That's what really creates the quality. And, and we knew that we could do the same thing with a, with a commercial or a conventional grain. And so we, we started working with a local mill to make us a, a a matching uh, conventional grain feed. And we implemented a, we started with pork so that we could have started a wholesale business and work with these chefs and, and give them the products they were asking for. And then that's, that's where it began. Um, and now it's, it's just become part, it, we, 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 during the pandemic, we started producing more of our wholesale product because we were trying to keep the price point down for folks that were just getting into, um, mm-hmm. eating pastured meats. And so we still do it. It's, you know, and it sounds a bit crazy and confusing, but really it's not different than any other industry. You know, you have, you have like even Bud Light, you know, you have, and then you have premium. Yeah. There's all these different brands will have their premium brand. And so our red label is our premium brand. That's like the most, that's our highest level product. And, it, and, and for our customers that have been with us long-term, they don't, they didn't want to change, you know, and yeah. we didn't want to back off on quality. So how do you add, how do you add another dimension to this to this, to this production model with, 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 and keep it where it's not confusing, um, or change the brand name entirely. So we chose to go with, with a color system. And I'd seen, I saw a farm in California that did it, that did it with grass-fed during a drought. They they were offering a non-grass-fed product during, Mm. during a drought. So they, they changed their label color to signify that product. And I think pasture bird did it also, or does it, um, they have different levels of feed. Maybe it was primal pastures. Yeah. Yeah that was doing three different label colors, like a white was for their wholesale. And then they had a, a, a green for their, uh, non GMO. I I can't remember what it was Yeah, seeing that other farms had done it and it was working, that's kind of where we went and it it's working. Okay. I mean, it would be simpler, obviously, if we just had one, but, um, it's also an advantage for us because we can, you know, if someone says, well, you know you're you're not using non gmo and it's like well then you you would be interested in our in our red label product that that you know we can always find a product for for every customer's perspective
0: that's really interesting because that's one of the things we struggle with our farm store yeah. is that, um, you know, how do you, we, we produce 90% of the vegetables, but we don't grow sweet corn. We don't grow melons. So how Ooh. do we offer those and how do we quickly show people, which is what? So I think like a color label might be really key for us too.
1: Yeah. And yeah, even, even Whole Foods, I think had that or, you know, different yeah, they, levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah they so do. Yeah. Customers are used to it. It just sounds, I think from a business owner's perspective, it sounds like chaos. You know how do i keep all this separate but it really isn't difficult because you know the, we do, we grow our animals in, in groups uh-huh. and so we have a we have a batch or a of, of blue label pigs over here and a batch of red ones over here and we make sure that they're at least two to three fences apart so there, there's no yeah. mingling. and and once you've got those systems in place it's impossible to mess up
0: yeah now yeah. do you have those uh sets of pigs or chickens labeled on like this so they don't give them the wrong feed
1: Correct. Yeah. So the employees don't mess up. We hang a yeah. little plastic tab with a red or a blue perfect um, tag on, on the feeder. Yeah. So that there's no, there's no confusion. Perfect.
0: Hey, thriving farmers, where are you on your thriving farmer journey? So if you go to our website, growingfarmers.com, you can click on the assessment button and that will take you to a form, ask you a few different questions, and that will help you figure out where you are on the five stage thriving farmer journey. And what that does then is kicks you a customized PDF that gives you resources to know exactly what to focus on next in your business to go to the next level. So go to growingfarmers.com and click on the assessment. So with the um, pork facility, let's talk about that, the pork mm-hmm. and beefs facility. Mm-hmm. What has been like your big key as, as you've acquired that, as you've started to run that yourself, what has been the, the, the major hurdles?
1: Uh, first there was the backlog of customers. You know, we had mm-hmm. some pretty upset customers that had been waiting for months to get processed. You know, the previous owner was, you know, he was on his way out. So there wasn't really an imperative for him to, to manage that very well. And I'm not saying he, he didn't do good. I think he was doing the best he could in a chaotic yeah. situation. The you know, phone rings off the phone's rings off the hook. Everybody's, you know, all I, you're, I'm sure you're aware. And the listeners are aware that processing beef or mm-hmm. pork right now is difficult. There's a backlog. And so we just had to come up with some customer service, and, and some scheduling um, systems quickly. And basically it's just, you know, spreadsheet and, and it's calendar. And we, we just sit down and have meetings and make sure that we, we've, we've talked, we called every single customer, found out what their needs were, how long they've been waiting and putting them in order and, and making sure that we can get the ones that are the squeakiest wheels are getting done first. Mm-hmm. And then we can start developing an, a scheduling system for customers where, where they're not just calling and asking, when can I bring it? When can I bring it that, that we give them a, a date range or a month range. And then we, then we call them at a, to a, for a final scheduling. That's been kind of the, the, the biggest challenge we've been dealing with so far is getting that out of the way. And I haven't felt like it was ethically right for me to process my own beef until I had that problem solved because mm. the, and so we've been holding on to some, we probably have 20 to 30 steers that we need to process. And because they're grass fed, I I have a little bit more flexibility. A lot of these customers are grain fed and they're putting money in and corn prices are up. So you can just imagine the phone calls we're having. And so I'm putting that as a priority. And then we're starting to finally work in some of our own beef now that we've gotten the, gotten it cooled off a little bit.
0: Yeah. Now, did we able to bring over most of the old employees?
1: Yes. I mean, all the, yeah, Yeah. we brought, we brought over everybody we could. I mean, only had, we don't think we lost one person in the whole thing. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, because I know finding qualified people to do that is very challenging.
1: Yes, yes, it is very challenging. We're we're still trying to hire a couple more. We're looking for a whole animal butcher. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been difficult to find someone in this area with that experience. Um, We'll probably have to train somebody up. But yeah, we have openings for that now. And um mm-hmm. maybe maybe somebody listening will will be interested.
0: You never know <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about um, your marketing aspects. you've got the store, you do some wholesale you do home delivery How are you getting out in front of the customer? are you running any ads or putting in you said the the, the, the slow food aspect, but are you doing anything mm-hmm.
1: else? Not really. I, okay. honestly, it's been social media you know we stay active on Instagram and Facebook. We have a, our Facebook is probably, our biggest following and mm-hmm. a lot of the locals here follow Facebook. Um, I, I would just say it's kind of a big Facebook town, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, the demographic, you know, most of our customers are, you know, older women, you know, or, or you know, a lot of women and um, they seem to be on Facebook a lot. And that, that has been the primary um, thing that we've done. We do a newsletter. Um, we, you know, and, and honestly, when the pandemic hit, marketing kind of took a backseat. Um, yeah. and we're just now like, I'm just now getting back into the marketing and trying to, you know, get that cleaned back up. And, and, you know, I think we're, we're behind on a lot of stuff, of course, and, and just our website needs some, some updates, our, our Facebook needs updates, but we're working on it a little bit every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the structure you have there for the team. Do you, um, what is your role and like what key hires have you made as you built out the business?
1: Key hires is you know, we kind of divide the business into, um, I think it's five major segments. So we have the production, we have administrative, we have our marketing and sales, then we have our processing. Um, and, it, and the, really the main, and the, what I call the critical control point is our inventory and distribution. Um, inventory is kind of what we always talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, what do we need in inventory? What, 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 you know, what's coming into inventory is always what the meetings are about. Um, but so we try to have one person who is in charge of each of these divisions. Um, it's been a little tricky these days, but we, we maintain a responsible person in each of those five segments and then everyone reports to them. So I'm not, you know, I I can't keep up with more than say five people anyway. So we kind of just have that, structure where there's a department per person. And then my sister, who is also our operations manager, who just came back recently, um, to help with this, she, she is going back and forth between the two companies. Um, and she's mostly at McCain's right now, which Mm -hmm. is the name of our processing plant. And we're, um, you know, we're, we're, she's developing a team over there where we have the five to five people. So between she and I, we're we're gonna have you know 10 division managers over the different little parts. That's kind of where the way it's working right now. Um obviously it's evolving and changing.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um let's talk about you know kind of the as you scaled as you started the farm what were kind of some of the key things you learned along the way
1: probably the biggest thing I learned and the biggest it's been the biggest reward for me and, and just release is um, I've worked with a guy named Theron Boudreau, who is uh, integrated acres. He's a consultant. Okay. And he introduced me to this concept called open book management. And when he first told me about it, I thought it was the most insane thing I'd ever heard of, which is basically you, you have meetings with your employees and you show them your books or you, you know, to put it, put it simply like everyone at the company is aware of what the numbers are. Mm. And I was like, that I'm not going to tell everybody, you know what, but it's really not that. As as it's, as bad as it sounds, what it is 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 everyone knows what sales are. So every week we have a meeting, and in that meeting we go over each division and what sales were, what's in an inventory, and what what production was, what's coming down the line, and so with the with this being open and the finance the you know the actual cash flow being viewed, it actually makes it so much easier for me because mm. I, the communication is 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 brought down. To, to every level. And and we all work together as a team, rather than, you know, the boss man giving orders. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, everyone's aware of the problems, everyone's aware of where we need to focus our attention. And, you know, if we need to bring in, like, if we need to increase chicken production, because we have big orders coming in a month or two months, you know, that open book management has been the biggest, um, the biggest tool for me to, to help me manage people, because I think that's my biggest challenge. I think working with people is, is probably everyone's, you know, biggest challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the beauty of the open book is it kind of really shows everybody, Hey, you know, this is where we are. This is not just, you know, we're yeah. just not making ha- money hand over fist and people realize, right. you know, the speed of work that they, they do is directly relationship with how much money the yeah. farm makes.
1: Um, right. you know, a lot they of people, are,
0: yeah. A lot of new people around the farm, like Michael, you walk so fast. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I've got 18 things to do today. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I- and, and they don't think you're an insane person. They, they realize that you're they yeah. actually kind of know what you're after and what you're doing, you know, because yeah. I, I think that people, when they see business this is kind of my little joke, but it's like, I think they think of business people as like Scrooge McDuck and we're yeah. just swimming in this pile of money and we're just making a decision as to where we're going to spend it. And yeah. it's like, no, that's not how cash flow management works. And no. so by letting them in on it and see it. It just it just gives us so much more power as a team.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then I think they are starting to come. They will try to save things, and mm. uh, and then they will also try to um, help you figure out efficiencies.
1: Yeah, they see opportunities for themselves. You know, places where they can grow and help yeah. the help the business grow, and then they become they they get to move up. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's what, that's what we're excited about. And that's, it's been working. It's just, you know, like I said, there's an underlying issue with, with them nationwide with, with employment right now. But I think, I think we're, we're, because we're still using these systems and we're working with it, that when things level off, we're going to be even better off and more ready to handle things and, and keep growing as we move forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're facing that same thing. We need to hire for like three different positions.
1: Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately,
0: it's three different half-time positions, but you know yeah. we could easily hire one person to do a couple of them. So, right. All right, so um, let's talk about your pigs. You talked about mm-hmm. the red red wattle. I think you said Berkshire mix.
1: Uh, Tamworth.
0: Tamworth mix, yeah. and uh, why did you go with that? Was that particular to your area, or?
1: Yeah, the uh, red wattle pig, a red wattle hog. I don't know if you've heard the history of it, but it was thought to be extinct. I think until the mid 1980s. Okay. And it was actually rediscovered in East Texas is where the, the last ones were found and then bred back to some durocs and mm-hmm. they brought the breed, the breed back out of, out of almost extinction or, or extinction. And so it's, it's on the arc of taste and it's an endangered breed. And because it happened to be, I mean, you know, I am East Texas, as far as biome goes, yeah. so we're, we're in the Piney Woods, East Texas. And so I'm, I think I'm only 30 minutes from the Texas border. So we, we just, Um, We chose that breed because it would be resilient and parasite resistant. And sure enough, we've had, you know, nothing but good luck with that breed. Um, It's also a a really tasty pork. The chefs love it. Um, And we brought in the Tamworth. I got uh, some breeding stock from a buddy up in Arkansas. And the Tamworth has a a little bit more of a meaty, you know, that hourglass shape um, has some better bacon and and hams. And so we just started crossbreeding. Uh, because we were crossbreeding with um, some hampshires and blue butts and things like that. And I liked what I had read about the Tamworth foraging. They're being, they're being more of a foraging pig. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that the combination of those two breeds would make sense for us, but it, you know, like I said, we've had success, uh, but we're, it's not scientific success because we haven't been doing a side-by-side comparison, but certainly not having any trouble out of those breeds. And, and the chefs love them. Our customers love them.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, the moms are good mothers take care of the, the kids. Yes.
1: I have, um, uh, I have, uh, contracted out my farrowing. I work with another farmer to do the farrowing similar oh, to perfect. what Polly face does. So, mm-hmm. cause I mean, I just can't, there's certain things. I mean, like, we just can't do the farrow to finish right now. I'm sure mm-hmm. one day we'll get back into it. We did start out that way, but it's been a lot easier to just buy the piglets from our contract farmer. And, and he, he's happy to have the business with us, you know, cause we basically buy every piglet he produces and it's just, It's good for both of us. It's a good relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
0: Mm -hmm. What does the future hold for you? Where are your, where do you see your areas of opportunity and growth?
1: That's, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, we, 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 you know, we are only state inspected for chicken and red meat, and Mm -hmm. there is consideration to go USDA. Um, I'm, I i do not think I'm going to be pushing that project too hard until we get leveled off with the red meat plant. Um, and, and we really, you know, feel comfortable. Um, but there are some some uh, government grants that are that are being talked about these days or real yeah. You know, and, yeah, I saw that. And there's there's something for us to to look at there. So that's a project we're gonna kind of investigate deeply this week. But honestly, I I want to figure out and level off. I want to figure out what scale. You know, I think with the chickens, we're probably going to stick, I had a long talk with Greg Gunthorpe about it. And I, I think we're going to stick with our exempt 20,000 birds a year on our pasture broilers for now Mm -hmm. and, and not go USDA until maybe next year. If, if thing, you know, just to see, just see how the market goes, but I have a feeling that that's probably the best choice for us is just to stay at that 20,000 bird level, but that keeps us in the state. And mm-hmm. that's, what's difficult for us. Cause we are, like I said, we're at the, we're in the Arklatex. We're on the corner of three different States. Yeah. You know, we're three hours from Little Rock. We're three hours from Dallas, three hours from Jackson. And we're six hours from new Orleans, which is yeah. interesting. Exactly. But you know, I would, I would, I would have some bigger markets open to me if I was USDA, but you know, those, those areas also have a lot of competition too. And so, um, like I said, leveling off is kind of what I, I'm trying to figure out what scale we can go with the acreage we have, with the processing capacity we have, and just focus on a high quality local regional product that we can stand behind and and, and be comfortable and, and let, get our lifestyle to be a little bit less hectic. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. lifestyle has been pretty tough the last year, two years, is just, um, you know, we're, we're working long days and long hours and And it doesn't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I think we have to choose to, to stop growing, to, to, to get to that light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Yeah. Those first couple of years is, and trying to figure out the scale. I mean, we're on an acre parcel and this year we did about an acre and a half of vegetables. And I'm like, okay, if we'd add six more acres, what kind of volume would that look like? And I'm Mm -hmm. just like, well, how would we fit that through our current systems? And there's no way.
1: (laughs) So, right. Yeah. 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 And that's another part of the answer, too, is, is it, it also depends on how the marketing goes. It depends on what the market, you know, what, yeah. what are we able to, what demand are we able to create or supply, you know, and uh, we're always going to be, it, it's, it, I think it's an ongoing question. It may never have an answer, but I, I'm happy with the scale we're at as far as like, I like the number of people we have. I like yeah. the size of the farm. I like the number of animals we have. It, it feels, it's feeling really comfortable. And um, I just want to make sure that we can maximize and optimize this scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Make it work better. Make it work. Yeah. Cleaner. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Any final thoughts before we go?
1: No, it's been an honor. I'm, I, I really thank you for talking to me and, and um, I look forward to listening to more. of Your podcasts they are really great. I, I was going to mention that I listened to your more, your recent one. With Tim Peterson in Arizona, yes, which yeah. he just got his own plan. He and I have a lot of, in common right now. Yes, you know, and just listening to his stories—that's what's so great about your podcast—is just listening to other farmers that are where I'm at or where we're headed, and just you know, especially where we're headed. You know, I, love yeah, loved, you know, I love listening to to your stuff and and the questions you ask are perfect for this time.
0: Awesome, yeah. The people that are a couple years ahead or even six months ahead are really yes. helpful.
1: yes, because you can just see what's coming.
0: Well, thanks again for your time, Evan. Appreciate you coming on.
1: Thanks, Michael. All right. right. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you